0: All of the food we eat and much of the clothing we wear comes from plants and animals that are raised on farms. Farms are different in type, in size, and even in name. Welcome to Barn Talk. What happens at the barn stays in the barn, but not today. We're going to let it all out for you guys. Today is going to be a QA and a episode, so thank you to all that submitted your questions. If you have a question for the show, you can submit them through barntalkshow at gmail.com. Email them to us at, at that email, um, and we'll answer them on the show. You can also leave a review on Spotify or Apple we are still doing the pork raffle. If you've been an avid listener for a while, uh, we are giving away a free pork box to one person that submits proof that they left a review on Spotify or Apple. We're going to announce it on uh, a podcast next month, and we will send that winner a free pork
1: box. Not a, just any pork
0: box. Not just any pork box. It's a pork box from our farm, and it is Farmer Grade approved, and it's part of the Farmer Grade brand. So, It is going to be the fresh pork from our farm to you. Um, We also have a 10% discount uh, sale going on on our website at farmagrade.com right now. And uh, you get a pork box for 10% off. So go check it out if you're interested. And lastly, if you've also listened for a long time, you know we got this little thing called the fee. It's kind of the ticket to admission to watch or listen to the show. If you get any value from what we're talking about, share it out with who you know so we appreciate every single one of you that have been doing that whether it's leaving a review whether it's sharing with sharing the show with a friend or submitting submitting proof or submitting your questions we appreciate all of you so that's all i got i appreciate you i appreciate you too i think we do a bang up job it's a gloomy day today in southeast iowa so we're up in the barn and i needed a midday pick me up so i got my coffee here uh it's not It doesn't have anything in it to spice it up. It's just pure black coffee, but...
1: Uh, I have my pick-me-up, and it is not coffee. It is... Well, it's got whiskey in it. There you go. Let's just put it that way. There you go. I've had a relaxing day puttering. I like to putter, Uh, so... I've been doing a little of that, and it's just, it's 65 degrees today, and I think tomorrow it's going to be about 40, and uh, Aaron Hoffert, if you watched the show last episode, I think, or the one before that, actually, uh, we had Aaron Hoffert, good friend of mine, he sent me a really uh, chilly video of his driveway in North Dakota covered in snow, and uh, I don't envy his ass one bit. Uh, I have a hot off the press market update courtesy of Cat's Grain in Washington, Iowa. And corn, uh, 468 locally, Uh, 489 in Cedar Rapids. I shouldn't bag on Cedar Rapids so much. Uh, You might get up there and get through real quick light, but probably ain't going to happen. 480 is the December contract, and that's pretty close. I think corn closed down a penny today. Uh, so it might be 4.79 beans 12.61 at the river, 12.86 on the other side of the river, and 12.88 on the no- November contract on the board. Wheat 5.73, hogs still 68 dollars. Train wreck. Uh, cattle 181 dollars. Feeder cattle 240. Oil's 84 bucks. Bitcoin is rallying up. Uh, for all you longtime Bitcoin hoarders, you probably are thinking it's going to eight eighty thousand dollars because it hit 33 it was three eight last time I saw and that was actually down a little bit so it might big things might be in store ethereum 1700 Tesla 207 dollars it's getting beat down a little bit so if I last time I told you I'd buy it at 210 uh, if I had bought some I'd buy more at 207 this is not financial advice Lord knows this is not financial advice it's just my opinion uh, gold 1987. 1987. Now that was a good year. I would have been a sophomore. What was the best song of that year? I don't know. Probably, probably something by Motley Crue or Def Leppard or yeah, something like that. I think "Concert in the Round" was going on in 1987. Any of you that managed to go to uh, when Def Leppard did their concert "Concert in the Round"? That's uh, legendary, a lot of debauchery going on, uh, both on the stage, in the audience, and underneath the stage. So, uh, anyway, that's for another time. <laughs> uh, gold, yeah, nineteen eighty-seven. Silver, twenty-one seventy-nine. And just if you're feeling really, you know, optimistic after this little market update, uh, U.S. debt today, I checked, is now thirty-three point six trillion dollars, and the total U.S. unfunded liabilities, which includes. Medicare, Social Security and whatever else they have on the books that they're supposed to pay that they ain't got the money to pay, 211 trillion dollars. 200? Yeah, see as <laughs> And if you I think I should have written this number down, but I think if you take the entire value of the United States economy and all of its assets, it's it's like 200 and trillion. So, yeah, we're just about there. Uh, U.S. credit rating got downgraded from AAA to AA+. And, uh, you know, everybody's just like, well, uh, it's because of the uncertainty in the political. Uh, It's all the division within the country is the reason that they gave for uh, dropping that. And we're still the floatiest turd in the toilet bowl, as our good friend David Zieser likes to say. So as long as That happens we're all going to be fine we're going to be fine don't worry we're going to be fine uh total credit card debt now is 1.0 yeah 1.03 trillion dollars the most since the fed started breaking it out of their total in 2003 so those are some real feel good those are some big numbers that i need a drink
0: (laughs) (laughs) those are some real big numbers but it's back to what we were talking about last week we're broke, but everybody's broke.
1: That's all we've got going for us.
0: You did a good job of picking the U.S.'s
1: debt, but I would love to see what China's debt is. There is a great clip uh, that you can find, and it's a smart guy, and he he asks really simple questions of an economist, and he says, it, if you remember a few years ago, Greece almost defaulted on their debt, and the rest of Europe bailed them out. And he said, he asked the question, he says, who owns Greece's debt? And they're like, well, Germany owns it. Well, how much money does Germany have? They're like, oh, well, they don't have any, they're bankrupt. Well, how far in debt are them? Oh, they're this many billion dollars in debt or whatever. Oh, well, who owns their debt? And you, it just goes in a big circle and it goes all the way around and he goes through all these countries and then he goes, well, who owns their debt? Well, Greece owns their debt. Well, well, Greece is bankrupt. And so it's like, uh, there is no way that any of this ends well, I would say. Uh, I don't know. You just hope you're not alive to see it, huh? Uh, with that, I'll have another drink.
0: It's an, what do you always say about all the problems that are going to go wrong here? And you just, what are you going to do? I'm just going to uh, cash out and leave it all to my grandkids. No, that's not what you say. Oh. You always say, I... I I'm building this now so that when I'm old and feeble, I won't have to worry about it. Oh well, yeah, that's why. Sawyer, Sawyer will just have to deal with it.
1: It's kind of a, it's kind of an offshoot of my dad when we would cobble something together when he was 90 years old, and he would just look at me and so, or even when he was 70 or 80 years old, we would fix something, and he'd go, "Well, that ought to last me as long as I'm going to need it." <laughs> And uh, I, he's right, because now that I'm fixing it all, so I'm going to cobble together all the finances to last me as long as I need it, and then it'll be up to you and the next generation to try to sort it out. So,
0: Thanks, Dad. Maybe. I appreciate the great, great planning on your end there. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get into some good questions here, and hopefully that will get us a little pick-me-up, not talking about the debt anymore. Uh, now, this is a great name, Cowboy. Yeah. Asked, what's y'all's input on Edison Motors out of Canada? If you guys think they're a serious competition to
1: Tesla or not. So those of you that don't know anything about Edison Motors, uh, two guys started this company and the the founder, he owns a logging company or a logging trucking company and hauls a lot of uh, lumber logs mostly from where they fell all these trees down the mountain uh, in British Columbia to the logging mills, to the lumber mills. And so he came up with the idea that because most of the where the trees are actually uh, cut it's very mountainous and most of the trees up there grow at on the mountain, like up towards the top. So his thought process was if you know a tesla it has what you call regenerative braking where when you anytime you decelerate it charges the battery and if obviously when you accelerate you use battery well his idea was that if you build a logging truck with batteries and electric motors which electric motors are excellent because they have an unbelievable amount of torque which is what you need to start and haul a heavy load and these logging trucks typically haul uh over a hundred thousand over a hundred thousand pounds so not like in the united states where you're hauling like 80,000 they haul i want to say hundred and 140,000 pounds or something like that i want to say is the fully loaded weight because i think the payload is like 100,000 pounds i could be wrong on that but i watched a couple of different deals when he was talking about it. And the other thing that's really interesting is the the trailers on the logging trucks, you can't can't just drop a load. Uh, The trailers are actually bolted to the truck, so they go together. So the trailer and the truck goes together. Anyway, the idea was you would start with a fully charged battery. You drive this truck, this electric truck, to the top of the mountain where they're dropping the logs. You load it. And then when you're coming down the mountain, most of your time, you're not actually accelerating. You're using the electric motors and the braking to recharge the batteries. So by the time you get to the bottom, you pretty much have a a fully charged or close to fully charged battery. And then you can use that battery to get to the mills. And one thing that they added is they have a Caterpillar engine in the front that they use if they ever get in a situation that the batteries get too low, the diesel engine will uh, power the truck and recharge the batteries if you're hauling to a mill further away. Anyway, uh, it's really interesting. Their first prototype like production vehicle is out, and they're using it, they're running it. Uh, It seems to be really good. Um, I think, so Morrow... Uh, live did a whole bit on it, and as to whether that is a direct challenger to the Tesla Semi, it's obviously not as refined, and it's not it's not nearly as pretty. But when it comes to the market that it's specifically developed for, I think uh, I think it can be very successful because. One, it's made to haul a heavier load than what the Tesla semi is. And two, it's very um, efficient and it's going to be priced. Uh, there's no bells and whistles. So price wise it's probably more competitive. And to a specialized market like that, I think it has a lot of future. So um, I don't think it's I don't think it's one of those deals that, they can build enough to compete with Tesla in the wider market, but as far as the niche goes, I think it's I think it's pretty slick. Love to have him on the podcast because the guy that designed it is just you know it's uh, necessity is is what do they say about that? Uh, the mother of all invention, I think, is what they say. Necessity is the mother of all invention, and that is exactly what that guy did. He saw a need. And it wasn't being addressed, and he just took it upon himself to do it, and they figured it out.
0: Yeah, what I think is cool about them is they kind of document. They're documenting their journey all through social media, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Uh, they seem like just you know regular guys that had an idea that love love trucks, love being mechanics, love tinkering with shit, and they came up with this great idea, and it's coming to life, which is really cool. So yeah, I, I agree. I'd love to have them on the podcast and. Uh yeah, I think I agree with you. I think I it's Edison all,
1: I, Motors is the YouTube channel. Yeah, and, and the
0: TikTok is Edison Motors too. Yeah. yeah, I check them out. I can't uh disagree with anything you said. Go on the back page. I want you to all the way at the bottom. Oh, okay.
1: This is kind of a this is kind of an offshoot of a podcast that we had a while ago. We were talking about labor. I feel like we talk about labor a lot, but Joel asks, uh, you guys. You guys talk a lot about the massive labor shortage, but what nobody talks about is how the heck you're supposed to find the jobs without ready, without already knowing anyone. What are some tips or just your thoughts on how to network and find operations to work for because Indeed.com doesn't seem to be getting it done? Yeah, I think there's a lot to, there's a lot you could
0: say about this subject and ag is not the only place that's struggling. Like you talk to anybody in the healthcare space, you talk to anybody, you talk to anybody, anybody from any industry, labor is the problem right now. I just talked to a guy that's working inside meat sales, truck drivers, everything, everybody's struggling. He said, he's told me he thinks labor is the biggest driving force to our economy right now as far as why we're our economy's not in the best shape because we're just there's not enough people and i think it's a mix of one i don't think businesses necessarily and maybe farming operations necessarily do the best job of trying to find really good talent like i watched a video of of uh, actually Alex and Layla Hermosi if you don't know who they are you should check them out if you want to be in business and they they drop a lot of great knowledge but they treat hiring people like they treat their marketing of their products like they go as hard on marketing their pro- they go as hard as finding great talent and recruiting people as they do marketing their stuff. Mm. And they're on all the websites for all, indeed all the websites you can hire people on Facebook, they're on everything and they're go, They have it like it down to a T and I don't think businesses probably go to that level of, you know, really trying to find people proactively and being on everything and knowing how it all works. But also I think there's a lot of businesses out there that probably can't pay. I know an ag, you probably can't pay people what they think they're worth there's a lot of people out there that think they're worth maybe more than what they are, and there's some people that probably are worth what they are, but yeah. they can't. We can't afford to pay them. So I don't know. I, I I say I would say it's good that you want to work because that's that's what we need the most. And I think that a lot of farms would love nothing more to get a great farm kid or a great guy with some ambition that loves farming and wants to hop in and help help us contribute. You know. And like we're one of those farms, but in our situation, where we're at as a farm, we simply just can't afford to hire a hired hand right now. Yeah. We'd love nothing more to hire out some of the stuff we're doing because we're we're pushing the gas pedal as hard as we can push it right now. And uh, we would love nothing more to get some help, but it just comes down to will it pencil, really. You know, it, will it pencil? And I think a lot of farming operations are kind of at that point when margins are just getting squeezed and everything's so expensive uh not only just living but just like all the inputs costs went up this year equipment's coming down a little bit but it was it was at record high land prices are record high it's it's just it's just a tough time right now um but i would just i would say where i see a lot of farms market for for help is predominantly facebook believe it or not. Like I, that's where I see Facebook the most That's where I see the most job listings is Facebook. Yep, That's where I see it for farms. So that's a good place to start. I'd also say like, send, send, send a resume email. Like for us, like if you emailed us, I would definitely save your email contact because like right now we're not, we're not ready to hire somebody, but in the future we, we would love nothing more to hire somebody with some ambition. And then even maybe wants to hop on the YouTube channel and like be a part of the farm in that way too. You know, like those are, don't be afraid to shoot your shot. Like, like this whole year, our, our, our biggest lesson learned is don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to ask, you know, scroll Facebook marketplace or f- scroll Facebook, cold email, whether, whether it be social media farms or just, people you come in contact with I'd also say go to go to farm events go to like anything that you can any event that you can go to where you know there's going to be a shitload of farmers there that's a great place to go and 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 work the room like all the industries out there have industry events like we've gone to the pork board the the pork producers here in our local town they always have a, a banquet every year great place to go Uh, the state, state fair and county fairs. That's all a great place to go and find, find, uh, farmers. Um, there's a, there's a shitload of places you can go to find it. And that's where you got to work the room. And, you know, I think if you, I think honestly, at this time, if you were to go to one of those industry events and you just started talking to guys and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in ag. I got this much experience in farming and I'm just looking for an opportunity you got any work available i think you'd be surprised at how much work you could probably get how many guys would be like yeah i'm or, game or we're not but you know
1: who you need to talk to yeah. is yeah this guy or yeah. that guy right uh the other thing is uh like ag retailers um implement dealers um mechanics at implement dealers not necessarily yeah so salesmen at implement dealers mechanics uh, crop input people, seed corn people, those guys are talking to farmers all the time. Yeah. That's a good point. If you can strike up a conversation with one of those guys, they'll say, you know, they may tell you, Oh, you need to talk to these guys. Cause they're whatever. Yeah. And it really comes down to, um, not being afraid, but not being afraid to ask the question.
0: That's a good, really good point. That's also, that's, that's really good talk to people that know farmers mm-hmm. work with farmers directly every day. Cause those guys, everybody's hurting for labor and they work with these farmers every day and they know that. Yep. And so if they can not only sell them fertilizer and help them in that way, but also, Hey, this guy called me and he's looking for work. I know you're struggling with labor. He yep. can provide a, make a connection there. Yeah. Yep. But he, he's going to do it. He's definitely going to do it. Cause it's going to benefit not only him, but you and the farmer. So it's a win-win for everybody. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, and I'd say in the meantime, because I know it's it's really hard, especially if you're a first-time guy trying to go work for an operation. Like, You can't go get the skill to drive a grain cart unless you go work for a farm to drive the grain cart. You might not know how to do that. But what you can do in the meantime is learn some skills that you know you can practice and apply in a farm setting. Like, if because there's a lot of shit that goes wrong. There's a lot of shit that needs fixed. So if you know how to work some power tools, you know, you know, the difference between tools, you know, how to crank on something, that's going to be, that's going to be helpful. That's going to be useful. Those kinds of things like learning what you can with what you got right now. So that if you get in a situation, you can show, Hey, I know a few things, you know, I might not know everything like i might not know how to run a grain cart because this is my first time working for an operation but i do know how to tinker on some shit Pe- they're gonna take notice of that so or like welding if you, you know just little shit like that there's a lot of stuff that you can think could be useful on an operation you can and start I, practicing now
1: i think most most operations haven't the if you can show up on time every day, and you're willing to learn and you're willing to take direction and not be too good for this or too good for that or too smart or, you know, whatever, you guys are willing to, to help people learn what they need to because, let's face it, we have a huge gap in uh, needs versus skills in this country. And
0: I'd also say one thing that I see a lot in these job posting by farmers and usually what it is, is you're, you need a class A CDL. And I think that's back to like what you were saying, like, don't be afraid of a job. You know, don't, don't think a job's too big for you. Like junior, great example. Yep. He wanted to go out to North Dakota and be a a welder's helper. And he got out there and what'd he start doing? Hauling fucking pipe. He started hauling pipe because that was the need. Then he finally became a welder helper, and then he became the welder. The welder. So it's not always, you know, it's not always where you where you starts where you end up. So just keep that in mind too. But i just putting that out there because that might get you an opportunity and get your foot in the door with an operation. So that's that's all I'll say. Uh, you got anything else on that one? I think that's good, good luck to you. And hell, we we'd love to have some people. Work for us at this will do farm eventually, but we're just not quite there yet. Um, Micah asks, how much feed does it take to finish a hog? 900 pounds. How much do you eat every day? That's 750. That's that's a good, I mean, that's right on the money
1: there. I eat less than what I did. I'm getting a little, trying to slim down a little bit. I'm just giving Uh, you shit. I know, it's all right. Uh, so typical pig, uh, here's here's the master plan. When we put a set of wiener pigs in our building, the goal is to take the first cut, the first load of pigs to go out of those buildings or the first two loads on a 2400 at 150 days or the week of 150 days. So from the time the first pig goes in, 150 days later, you should be able to get a load of pigs they are going to weigh... 280 to 290. Um, if in a perfect world, you, a pig's going to eat six pounds of feed a day average, obviously when they don't start, they eat eat that much, but when they're done, they probably eat a little more than that. And if you can get a one point, if you can get a 1.8, 1.9, 1.95, uh, feed conversion, you will put on you know, two pounds a day if you're eating six pounds or a little over six pounds. So that's the, between 850, 900 pounds of feed uh, should get you a pig to that that mark in about 150 days. Now then, doesn't always work that way. You get sick pigs, you get, you know, diseases, you get pigs that are smaller that don't start as well, go longer than that. But that's the goal. That's the perfect the perfect world, so, um, and only the best pigs, are farmer grade pigs. That's, <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> say it better myself. <laughs> um, okay, this this is one you can talk about this a little bit. Um, Ethan asks, my question is, what would be a good air quotes town job? a farmer um, to basically he's saying to supplement your income so you can afford to farm because we talked about how hard it is to just keep a farm going strictly being on the farm and you can give your two cents and then I can chime in too. Um, I would say
0: any job that you think you can g- gain a skill set, not only to, you need to get a job that makes decent money so you can contribute back to the farm, you know, you got to have a life, but also if you can do a job that also teaches you a skill that you can apply to the farm as well, that's kind of, I mean, you're kind of winning, you're double dipping there because you're learning something, you're getting paid to learn a new skill, and then you can apply the money and the skill back to the farming operation. I think that's awesome. So anything in the trades would be awesome. I think that We've said it a million times on this show. The trades is just going to get more and more. Uh, there's going to be less and less people doing it, and I think the price what what you're going to be able to charge is more and more. And I think you're going to have more work than you could ever do. Like there's going to be so much shit. There's going to be so much opportunity in the trades. Um, so I think those are all good welding, H, uh, welding mechanic. Uh, I think there's there's some obviously some basic skills too that. Any business, including a farming operation, can massively improve if you have those skills like marketing, um, uh, sales, I mean, all that shit of just talking to people and, and getting getting accustomed to talking to people, getting accustomed to negotiating, getting accustomed to talking to numbers, uh, all that stuff is going to help you. But I think that's, yeah. that's my two cents is... If you can get a job that serves you in both those ways, that's a pretty good off the farm job.
1: Yeah, and follow what you're passionate about because if you can, to what you said about the trades, I was just thinking about like when we talk to to plumbers or electricians or carpenters or people like that. The nice thing about the trades is typically those guys that own those businesses, they are willing to be very flexible. On time because they need the help. So it's like, if you can only work there, if you, if you have, like, if you're a livestock farmer, and you can't start till 10 o'clock. Or if you're a, if you're a livestock farmer or grain farmer, and you got to be off by three o'clock, you know what? A lot of them guys, they'll play ball with you because they, they'll take what they can get and then if you can learn a skill on top of that that you can, that you can use, that's just a bonus. Um, and it's also back to what you want. I
0: mean, if you're trying to optimize the as much money as you possibly can, learn a really high-level income skill so you yeah. can make as much money as you possibly can to grow the farming operation, if that's your goal. If it's uh, work-life balance or wanting to work on the farm, like be at the farm and work... Uh, your job, your, your town job, quote unquote, while you're just still on the farmstead. Uh, maybe doing a, doing something where you can work from home, getting a, getting a job where you can work from home. That might be a benefit you if you're thinking about that situation. Seed dealer. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of guys around here that are seed dealers that have a shop built at their, at their farm and they're dealing seed and they're also helping, helping out at the farm too. So they kind of get that. Ag lifestyle and they're close to home, close to family, and they they enjoy that thoroughly. So thoroughly, so it just really depends on your situation. But those are kind of that's my two cents anyway. Absolutely, we got to take a little break because I got to tell you something real important. If you guys aren't watching our This Will Do Farm YouTube channel, you're missing out. It's just like this, only shorter and on the farm. Definitely go check it out if you haven't subscribed yet. Give us a like, give us a comment. Let us know you came from Barn Talk, and with that being said, let's get back into the podcast. Daniel asks, I, this kind of goes together here. This is a good question. Okay. Daniel asks, I personally have a town job and help after work, but my uncle and cousin full-time farm the original farmstead from the 1800s, and close friends still farm their original farmstead from the 1920s. My question to you is in that time frame, late 1800s until current day, The amount of progression in agriculture has been astonishing. Do you think that the time frame into the future there will be family farms or just factory farms? Well, what the fuck are we, Dad? We get called a factory farm every single day when we're just me and you doing this thing. We're BTO farm. There we go. BTO. I don't feel like a BTO most of the time. (laughs) I feel like a STO.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh... Well, it ain't going to get any easier, and uh, I think I have a little bit of, I got a little bit of perspective on that because I've, I've told this, I've told some of this before. When we first started this podcast, we did a few episodes where we talked about kind of like my family history and that, but um, something that's unique about me is the fact that there's like a generation missing... So, my father was born in 1919. And if you do the math real quick, you'd think that I'd be older than what I am. But I wasn't born until my dad was 52 years old. And so there's kind of a gap, you know, like he literally was old enough to be my grandfather, um, which made for, you know, great father son relations until we got older. But um, so I heard all the stories. I heard all the stories about two row corn planter planting with a check wire, picking corn by hand. You know, we still have our corn crib. And I just told the gas man the story today because our crib has the has the hoist in it to where you pulled the, the wagon through and you tied it down and then you cranked it and it tipped the wagon up so the ear corn would roll out of the back into the bucket elevator that took it to the top and all that stuff. And I often thought, so my dad literally went from you know, farming with horses to the last tractor he owned before he passed away was a 7820 and we no-tilled and he grew up, you know, the only thing you had, like you burned the stocks. Like when you got done hand harvesting corn, they had a big, they had a 40-foot chunk of railroad iron that they pulled with two teams and they dragged that across the ground to bust off all the stocks And then they would windrow the stalks. They had a dump rake, and they would windrow the stalks. Then they would burn them. And then he would always make the comment that in his day, when you plowed, if there was any stalks left showing above the dirt, you were a piss-poor farmer. Because that's how you judge whether somebody knew what the hell they were doing. Because you did not want to see anything but black dirt. So we've come a long ways since then. But for us to sit here and think, oh, we'll we'll never see that level of innovation in our lifetimes that that generation saw, I don't think that's true. I think that we we make incremental gains all the time as far as technology goes and efficiency and all that, but then every once in a while a technology will come along that makes a huge jump in a short amount of time. And I just told this story a, a while ago to somebody I I actually heard this, but and I might get the years wrong, so don't crucify me for it, but a guy told the story and he was being questioned about the about electric vehicles and the idea that they couldn't we couldn't move that way very quickly because of all the factors everybody likes to talk about, and that's neither here nor there. But his, his analogy was that, let's just say in uh, 1913, 85% of the people in the United States traveled short distance by horse and buggy. Within seven years, 75% of the country move short distance, by automobile, seven years. So that's a very short period of time with a very huge amount of innovation. And his his point of that was every wheel builder, carriage builder, horse breeder, uh, haymaker. Barn, barn builder. Barn builder, horse poo picker-upper guy, whatever the builder. hell it is, all those people were massively displaced by that technology. A lot of them probably went to work for the Ford factory or you know whatever, they all had to change. None of those people saw that coming. In fact, a lot of, this is a true story, my dad told me, uh, a farm that is just around the corner from us, 240 acres, the guy that farmed that, he was the last person in Jackson Township to give up his horses and he was convinced tractors were a fad and that they would never catch on and he kept farming for horses with horses until he actually retired and sold them and never did own a tractor but he was he was displaced and we have the same thing whatever your whatever your uh whatever your temple is whatever is the thing that you hold on to that you say this will never happen this will never change your paradigm guess what you too can be displaced and so I think it's very possible that we could see that level of innovation in our lifetimes. And to your question about factory farms versus uh, family farms, um, that is very... I'll say this. If you are a family farm and you're not willing to adapt... So what a family farm looks like is going to be much different in the future than what it is today. If you're going to be a family farm, you're not going to be a one-trick pony. Just like us, um, we raise pigs and we grain farm. Grain farming makes no money. We sure do love it. I'd love to do more of it, uh, but it doesn't really make any money. But the other things that we do allow us to keep doing it And it is, there is value there to our farm. But as we build the other businesses that we're doing. And there's value there in the long term too. Yes. But as we do the other things, it actually has become less valuable because the other things we're doing, leveraging our time, are becoming more valuable. Yeah. So I think for anybody, if you, if that's what you want to do, you could totally be successful. You can totally be successful without farming a gazillion acres. In fact, there are a lot of people that farm a gazillion acres that are freaking miserable. And they're not really successful. They might look like they're successful because they have new equipment and they go on that seed corn vacation every year. But they're not financially stable they're financially tied to a lending organization and all they're doing is trading their time for money and money for time and it's a vicious circle and and when it's all said and done there's no loyalty there because that rent that they're paying somebody else will pay that rent and so just just because it looks like their bto doesn't really mean that they are it's just different it's not for, and that's not going
0: uh, we're not we're not using a paintbrush here saying no. that's that's every big time operators that way but i see what you're saying and there are a lot of guys out there that it seems like it's the dream life to just grain farm a fuckload of acres but it's just like anybody that's rich there's a lot of rich miserable fucks out there and there's a lot of quote-unquote on paper what it looks like B- big BTO farmers that look like they got all their shit together because they got all the new shit, but deep down they could be miserable inside too because it's exactly what you said. But Stresses. Is- I think what this guy really meant, the term factory farms, I think he kind of just means corporate farms. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like we've talked about on this podcast before. The, the thing about the family farm and and corporate farm thing of how do we keep family farms going and how do we stop family farms from getting bought by or getting in bed with corporate farms or bought out by how do we, how do we stop that and have more family farms? And I just think at the end of the day, you have to create your own market or you have to do exactly what dad says. You have to make enough money off farm with other ventures to help weather the storm of what it's going to take to stay into the business of agriculture at the end of the day. That's what it is yep. because the margins just gets are just getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and everything is so expensive. So you either have to find a way to differentiate yourself as far as what you produce on your farm and see if you can not play on the commodity market, you know, not play the commodity game like everybody else or you can play the game everybody else plays, but you got to realize that just farming might get you far along. It might get you far in the short term, but will it carry on for generations after? I don't think it's the same as it once was where you could just farm, that's all you could do, and you could pass it on for generations. We're getting less and less of that's happening because I think it's getting harder and harder to continue to farm with just a sole income of farming, right? So, if you want to have a long-lasting family farm, you have got to do two of those things: make more money off the farm, or differentiate your product,
1: or do both, or do both.
0: Yeah. Exactly, or do both. But uh, it's only going to get more corporate as more family farms get pushed out, and that's just that's just the reality. And we say it a million times as the consumer out there. But with your dollars and it's not just when it doesn't just mean when it comes to your food, it means everything. What, how you, what you pay, what companies you support that matters at the end of the day, yes, that matters. If you want more family farms, if you want more small businesses, if you want more industry and more jobs created here in America, support the American businesses and, and support the family farms out there that are doing those things that you want to keep happening in our country, you know? So, that's my two cents. And I, I would just say, also to touch on your innovation point, I mean, there, there's a lot of shit coming down the pipe, I think, and, and my, you're going to be a grandpa and you're going to be shitting your pants, I think, even just what's coming down the pipe. And I'm going to be mind blown when I'm a grandpa because I don't even know what it's going to be like. But I think... With the AI technology and self-driving and drones and uh, just all this shit, I just feel like there's it's it's
1: going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of stuff. I'm going to be in my Wally chair, yeah. sucking on my big gulp, yeah, with my VR goggles, just out riding the dunes on my 250R, like yeah. it's the glory days. Listen to some crew. I'm not going to give two shits. Nope. There you go. I love it. Maybe. Yeah, don't just stay in your box,
0: though. We always say that. Uh, definitely, definitely look outside your box every once in a while because you don't want to get left behind.
1: Danner asks, how big do you process your pigs at? And have you ever tried liver mush? Never
0: tried liver mush. I've actually never tried liver. So not, a, not I've seen a lot of Liver King videos of when he was just <laughs> blowing up on the Internet. and. Oh. He claimed that he was so so shredded just because of all the all carnivore the diet and all the liver he was eating, but he was really on. I mean, geez, guys, he's, he's, all the he's on fucking gear. He's on gear. I mean, it's pretty obvious he was on gear. But um, how big do we process our pigs at? Or how big do we, yeah, process our pigs at? Um, so for farmer-grade pigs, we process process them at our ideal weight for those would definitely be 300 or above uh, for sure. Just because I'm trying to get the most meat yield out of those pigs as I possibly can. And obviously I don't want them to get them too fat because that's a pain in the ass to move them around. And, you know, they get to a certain point where it's just like, you know, you want that animal to not be so goddamn fat that his quality of life's terrible, right? You know, they're 300 about the perf 300 to 315, 315, 320 is pushing it on a pig. I think they're yeah. They're pretty decent size. That's about the max I would go, but 300s pretty ideal. The frame um,
1: of a pig has gotten longer over time. The breeds that we raise today, the hybrids, so they carry that weight a little better. But one thing a lot of people don't realize is, and this goes to the to our to like this will do the farm channel. People think that it's that it's mean for us when we're sorting. Uh, little pigs that will grab the pigs by their back leg well the reason you grab a pig by their back leg is because their back leg that's a joint and you can pick them up and they're fine doesn't hurt them a bit you never want to grab a pig by its front leg because the front leg of a pig that where, the, where their front leg attaches their body that's not a joint that's just a muscle. That's just muscle that holds that all together, and you can very easily uh, dislocate or uh, break a front leg because they're not attached. And the only reason I say that is because as they get bigger, carrying all that weight, um, they get to a point where it's hard on their joints to carry that weight. So. That three, between 300 and 315 is where we like them. And the other reason for that is because we want to give people a really nice, big pork chop. And if you, like if you, if we laid them out and showed you the pork chop from a pig that's say 240 pounds compared to a pig that's 300 pounds, there's quite a bit of difference uh, in that, in that the size of that cut. And so we like that. Um, but then the other limiting factor is time because when we start closing out a group, uh, when they're big enough, they're big enough and they got to go because we got to make room for the next group. So it's not like we can feed these pigs till the cows come home. So yeah. when I said earlier about that 150 days, you know, we're want to take pigs. If we can get pigs that are weighing 300 pounds at 160 days, that's where we want to take them. And yep. you wait too long and they all gotta go. So yeah. time is not on yeah, your you side. Yeah,
0: you want two groups a year per barn, so you wanna you wanna definitely stay on that time timeline. And I think the packers, all these packing plants, if you didn't know this, they're all set up for a kind of a certain size pig and some of them vary. So some of them are a lot some of them are the some of them are the same in the fact that they might want a three hundred pound pig, but there's some that their market is they take Smaller pigs, where they're like at the 280, 285 mark, or two two six, or two sixty. Or 260. So, and that was kind of the big thing with COVID when everybody was like, "Why are these? Why are some of these pigs having to get euthanized?" Well, and when that was all going on, because all the plant, all the packing plants shut down. Well, when you have a pig that goes, when a packing plant is set up for efficiency and they take pigs at a certain weight range and it gets outside of that weight range, whether it which for the covid case they got way too big uh that plant's not set up to process those pigs their whole efficiency everything on that line is set up for that pig and when it that pig can't fit that line they can't, and it can't they can't go anywhere no one's going to process them and there's not enough small town processors to be able to process that meat so that's what happened so that's that's why we don't shut the fucking country down yeah
1: and another thing is on that And we talked about this back at that time, but, uh, so a federally inspected USDA inspected facility, when you process that pig and you hang it on the rail, like we've seen a carcass on a rail to Sawyer's point that it's set up for a certain size, it's set up for a certain weight and it's set up for a certain length of pig. So you get a pig that's too big, it gets longer. If if at any point During the processing of that pig, that carcass touches the wall, touches another, a metal surface, touches the ground, touches the floor. That carcass has to be destroyed as far that's USDA, that's their, you know, and that's a food safety issue. So when these pigs got too big, uh, they would hang them and their hoof would be touching the floor or their snout would be touching the floor and you can't do that. So they couldn't process it. So, Yep. Yep. Uh, long, long answer to a short question.
0: Well, we gave you the, we gave you the one-on-one on that yep. whole fucking deal. So you should know exactly now you should know to a T 300,
1: 300 pound pig, That's 300, the magic. 315, feed him 900 pounds of feed from the time he's little. And you ought to have a nice big, uh, pork chop, fat ass butt on him too. Nice pork butt. Absolutely.
0: Nice ham. Yeah. Yep, good looking. What? What's so? Why do they call them the butts when they're not the
1: butts? Yeah. So pork butts actually the shoulder of the pig, and the ham is actually the butt. And the whole. How many people you think actually know that? Out of the Midwest, almost nobody probably. I mean, very out of the Midwest. Percentage. If you get outside of the Midwest, oh, yeah. I imagine I I bet you less than twenty percent of people know that a pork butt is actually not the butt. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would definitely say. Because it's weird. It's a weird thing. It's one of them weird things. Like, why in the hell did they call that a pork butt? Well, this is, and I don't even know if this is right. This is what I've read. So, pork butt comes from the the term comes from back in long, long time ago when they would process pigs. That shoulder, they would shove them in a barrel. Uh, sold them, shove them in a barrel and ship them. And a lot of that processing was based in Boston and they were called Boston butts. So once in a while, you'll still hear somebody refer to a pork shoulder as a Boston butt, but the Boston part dropped off, but the butt stuck and they call it pork butt, but it's not pork butt. It's And the other thing is the hams, uh, I don't know why they started calling them hams, but the the butt of the pig the two the two big muscles uh that are those joints that are connected the back legs those were what people started curing and smoking and they called them hams instead of pork butt and the shoulders they put them in a barrel and called them a boston butt so that's it's just one of those weird 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 deals. deal weird yep. deal yeah it is weird Tastes fucking good, though. It's damn good. Real damn good. good.
0: I think this is going to be our last question here, and it's a, kind of a fun one. So Joseph asks, if Elon Musk's end goal is to live on Mars, they will have to have some way to produce food. Do you think they could possibly take Tesla self-driving technology and build self-driving tractors to possibly send them to Mars and try to raise a crop before we send people? Uh, They're going to need you to go up there and do that.
1: Well, they're gonna need our buddy. Uh, they're gonna we're gonna need our guy, Craig Rep. Gre- yeah, Craig Sabanto. Uh, Sabanto. Uh, they're already doing it. So get on. They're already on Mars. Well, they're not on Mars, <laughs> but I think they'd be just fine. So that technology is I mean, I yes, I think you're right. I think you're 100 percent right. Um, it'd be
0: a good idea to know that we can grow food on Mars before we sent people. Yep. To Mars, because the rations will run out quick, and then. All bets are off. Right when the pork butts are gone, fists come out. That's true. Yeah.
1: So I think that would be the plan. But you have to terraform. You have to terraform Mars to where you can actually grow something, or else build an incredible network of greenhouses because it's not uh, the atmosphere is not good enough. That's why uh, Elon uh, kidded a little bit, but he was kind of serious that probably the first thing you should do is nuke the polar ice caps of uh, Mars. And the reason he said that is because there's a huge amount of ice uh, at the poles, just like here on Earth. And if you could melt that fast enough, you could give Mars, in theory, you could give Mars an atmosphere, which in turn would give you a buffer uh, that you could probably start terraforming it and, you know, then get yourself... Disassemble yourself a bunch of Kubotas and get, get get Craig up there. Get Craig up there, friend
0: of the show. He was an early episode. We need. We maybe we should get him back on and see how they're doing. But I th- yeah. Craig Rep Sabanto. It's an early episode. You can go check it out. But they they're doing a really cool autonomous tractors. It's like their whole yeah. thing. That's what they're working on. I know that autonomous tractors is kind of becoming more and more a thing in every brand of tractor. But he's doing something really cool over there, and he's been kind of a pioneer of that. So. Um. Yeah, I think they would. I think they'd get that nipped in the bud pretty quick. There and you go. We would. I hope they'd have some bacon on Mars because life without bacon. I don't know how the vegans can do it. I don't know. Be tough.
1: Pretty shitty. Absolutely can't. I'm not going. I, I, it's one of my stipulations. I'm not going if I can't get bacon. Yeah, probably. You gotta. Br- that's part of the Torx deal. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. I get it. Okay, I'll give you one last thing. I'll give you the golden the golden nugget of the day. I heard this story. Uh, so this podcast is probably somewhat skewed towards men, I would think, and it's probably skewed more towards people that would proclaim themselves to be kind of like self reliant. I guess you know, bootstrap it. You know, you know, pull them pull, fucking bootstraps. Pull up, on boy. those bootstraps. Yeah, and uh, I was perusing. Uh, YouTube one night, and I do I I check on a guy. He's got a chance called Wrangle Star, I think is what it's called. <laughs> he's and, I think there. I think last time we talked about him on the podcast,
0: guys were like, "That guy's fucking crazy," but he's he got is crazy. He is kind of crazy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> he's a pot. He's a homesteader. You he's know, a, prepper. And a prepper and all that. Oh, yeah, but he he and I actually can't take for this take credit for this. He told this story though because what he was talking about, he was talking about. All the equipment that he has accumulated in his kind of off-grid living, you know homesteading, prepping, like all the stuff it takes and how expensive it is. And, and he acknowledged that. and he said he told the story of this journalist that in the 1800s, he spent uh, a year or six months with a group of Finnish uh, whalers. They were, they were on a whaling ship. And these were, that was a very tough job, very rugged, cold, you know, dangerous. And, uh, but they, for their time, for their, for where they were, they made really good money, but the life expectancy was not that good because it was dangerous. And, um, they came into port after being at sea for however long and they all get paid. And this one veteran, uh, whaler, old guy, grizzled, um, he promptly went to the general store and bought just every pack of american cigarettes that they had and they were very expensive and the journalist asked him he said you know of all the things that you could spend your hard earned money on why why are you buying cigarettes and he took the first pack of cigarettes and he opened it up and he lit a cigarette and he took a pull off of it and he said to the journalist he said well I just chalked that up to, uh, it's damn expensive being a man. (laughs) And I just thought that was, I thought that was good because, you know, all of us, life does not get any easier and people rely on you. And as we go through life, we just add more burden to ourselves and, uh, being a man is expensive. Yeah, I would I uh, I think that's good. I saw a clip of a guy that was talking about how to
0: be a a man of God. But it, it, it if if you're not religious, it kind of just comes down to a ma- if you're to be a man it's all about sacrifice. You sacrifice yourself for everybody around you. Your family, your your wife, your kids, even your community. each your. I mean each day you are sacrificing if you're a good man, if you are a man, you are sacrificing. Your own,
1: you're sacrificing your own whatever. Wants treasury. needs yes. everything to for support
0: and help and and make things better for everyone around you. And that I thought that was really good. And that's just that guy's opinion. But I you know what? I sat there and I thought about it and I was like, that's that's pretty good. Yep. It's pretty good. Side note, I think Wrangler Star would be an awesome uh, podcast guest. And also, I just was sitting here thinking a great business idea for him would be he should come out to people's properties and just consult for them and say, you know, if you lived here, what would you rig up as a booby trap? or Where would you bury the bunker? Yes, right. (laughs) Where would you have your... Turrets that come out of the ground when there's an intruder <laughs> yes. or something. You know, yes. I think, hey, seriously, I think people are more weary than ever before. And shit, he could five grand a pop to come out to your farm or your homestead and say, This is what I would do, boys. I'm
1: not saying that 8,000 rounds of 5.56 five, <laughs> isn't a good start. I'm not saying that, but this is where I would put the additional 10,000 rounds. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. He'd be pretty good, but he would be awesome to get on the podcast. I think. We'll put it on the list. And if he ever did come on, I would tell him that idea. Yep, absolutely. And I would definitely have him come walk the property a little bit. For sure. If he'd be interested.
1: We got a lot of hog panel that we could turn into uh, anti-vehicle, you know, the deals that... Yeah. Tumbleweeds. Yep, yep. I saw that episode. That was a yep. good idea. Yep.
0: Well, I think that's going to wrap it up, guys. Uh, we appreciate all your questions. Keep submitting them at barntalkshow at gmail.com. Share the show. Pay the fee. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple. Get yourself a pork box if you'd like. And uh, we love you guys. Thank you for all the support. We'll see you back here next week for another episode.